0: Good morning Saltbox family. Uh, I am up in the North Carolina mountains so we are here with our extended family just getting some rest and uh, recovery time Um, as I film I actually have a quail uh, walking five feet from me pretty amazing Um, the moon just set and the Sun is getting ready to rise here just a minute it's about 35 degrees And I just wanted to uh, introduce our um, speaker for today. Rob Hamilton is an old friend of mine. Uh, We actually went to high school together. Um, You can actually see the quail in the bottom of my screen. Um, But uh, Rob and Haley went to uh, Hoggard High School with me. They were a few years older and Rob is a dear friend. Um, He's been a senior pastor. He's been an associate pastor. He's been a church planter and he always interprets um, the word uh in a beautiful way uh f- from a mental health perspective here recently because he's a great counselor. So um as Rob comes to the stage, would you stand to your feet, would you give him a warm clap and welcome? And uh we are looking forward to being back with you guys next Sunday. We love you and we'll see you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. All right, you're awake, good. Might ask for some interaction, or you can respond if you want while I'm preaching. Say an amen here or there, if you if you like what you hear. It's always good to be at Softbox, always consider it an, an honor when Michael uh, asked me to come and to fill in, and he he usually now asks me, you know, can you do something on mental health again, So um, or mental illness, because um, with the counseling ministry that I run now, of course, that's always front and center and what I'm dealing with and what I'm focused on, and also feel called right now uh, in this season of my life to help the church think through that, but um, I don't want to just talk about mental illness in particular, uh, because sometimes we still think of mental illness as something like they deal with, you know, it's us and them. There's normal people, then there's, you know, crazy people, and and the crazy people deal with mental illness, and all (laughs) right. All right, just like that coffee, nutty and sweet, right? That's, I was thinking, once you read that, like, it kind of describes my personality. But, uh, no, look, be careful, you know, we joke with that word crazy, but it's, it's not funny when people deal with mental illness. But. Uh, mental illness is really on a spectrum, right? From one extreme to the other. It can be mild, it can be severe, and and even though only a small number of people might experience real severe specific forms of mental illness, uh, really to some extent most of us experience uh, some kind of disruption in our mental and emotional and relational and behavioral and spiritual health. So I really want to talk about health. And uh, to look at a passage from the prophet Isaiah that speaks about the ministry of Jesus and talk about how Jesus deals with all forms of our illness and promotes all forms of health. Now he doesn't take away all forms of illness in this life. I don't want to give you false hope or false promises. And he doesn't give everybody complete health uh, in this life. But he is anointed, as the prophet Isaiah said, to minister to hurting people, to bring grace that creates health in all of its various forms for all of the various types of problems that you and I might deal with. So I hope you don't tune out and go, you know, I'm one of the normal ones. I don't have mental illness. Um, Because, you know, you might struggle with something like grief. And, you know, grief is not mental illness. Grief is a normal response to the experience of loss. So whether it's grief or shame or trauma or abuse, which are things I'm becoming much more uh, aware of and dealing with increasingly, so many people that come into my office, and really everyone that I know uh, seems to have some kind of serious trauma or wounding or something really strainf- uh, stressful and hurtful that they've experienced in their past. But whatever form uh, of those problems that we have, the good news is this. We, we have a Savior. We have a God who cares and a God who is equipped and a God who is committed and, and powerful enough to deal with even the biggest problems that you or I or the people we care about deal with. There's a saying that everyone has a problem— is a problem, and has to live with a problem. (laughs) And my family was just like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right. (laughs) Rob is a problem, he has problems, and he's a problem to live with, right? To some extent, that's true of all of us. And you know what? Jesus loves each and every one of us still. Isn't that good news? And not just does he care, he loves, but, but he came to do something about it. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah 61. And I chose this passage because uh, it speaks about so many different issues and needs uh, that we think of when we think of mental health. See if you see those key words as I read it. And keep in mind that when God inspired the prophet Isaiah to speak this passage, he wasn't primarily addressing mental illness. But because it deals with the core issue of grace for sin, uh, it also touches on and has effects for mental health and mental illness. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I'll reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has. Has blessed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we open your word, we pray that your spirit would preach and proclaim the good news to us, that people would be comforted and healed, set free, transformed, that it all be your work and it be for the display of your splendor to be able to draw other hurting people to Christ. And we ask that you do this in Jesus' name, by your Spirit. We love you, Father, and thank you for the grace that you have made available to us. Amen. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, after being tempted in the wilderness by the evil one, after being baptized and hearing God the Father say to him, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased he, he saw a, a dove-like symbol of the Holy Spirit descend on him. Goes into the wilderness, is tempted, overcomes that temptation for you and I. And then he begins his ministry, and one of the first things he does is he goes back to his hometown, to the synagogue, to one of their services, which was kind of like an informal church service with some scripture readings and prayers, and they would often invite other teachers to to read a passage of scripture to say something and uh, jesus asked for the scroll of isaiah when they invited him to to read something and it was quiet and he was flipping through the scroll or unrolling and searching until he comes to this passage the 61st chapter and he reads the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls the scroll up and then he says, I tell you this passage is fulfilled today in your hearing. Some people were excited and others were literally ready to throw him off a cliff. But Jesus was clear and unambiguous in saying, Isaiah 61, it's about me and now I'm here. All those good things promised in Isaiah 61, I'm going to do them in my ministry. And then my people are going to continue to carry them out. Jesus was anointed to minister to sinners and sufferers. And his church is anointed to do the same. If you don't remember anything else I said, that's my, that's my big idea. If you fall asleep, and nod off. I'll know. I see you. You think we don't see you when you nod off and we're preaching? These lights are kind of bright, but we see, and that's okay. We pray that, you know, you'll rest in the Lord for a while, and then you'll wake up, and if somebody says, what was Rob's message about? You'll say, Jesus is anointed to care for uh, sinners and sufferers, and the church is anointed to do the same. And if you really start to unpack that and apply it, man, what a difference that could make in your life and in our world, right? that we'd realize that we follow a Lord and a Savior who has been anointed with the Spirit to transform people and to anoint us to minister to other people in a life-changing way. I love this passage. I get chills every time I hear, the Spirit of the Lord God is on me to preach good news, to proclaim liberty, to comfort those who mourn, to set prisoners free to give joy instead of mourning and ashes. I love it. It's what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And I want to talk about the things Isaiah says about the ministry of Jesus that he would fulfill when he would come. I've got five th- four things here, actually. More than four, but I'm just going to stick to four. Four th- ways that Isaiah describes and portrays the ministry of this coming Savior, the one who already has come, who was anointed to minister. First of all, his ministry is spirit-empowered. Yes, Jesus was God in the flesh, but when he became God in the flesh, he limited himself willingly and gave up all those powers and privileges and became fully human while remaining fully God. And he needed the Holy Spirit's presence working with him to fulfill his ministry. And that's what the word anointed means. If you haven't grown up in church and you're just here uh, visiting or church is new to you, there are some buzzwords that fly around that we don't explain much, and this might be one of them. You might go, anointing? What in the world? That's, that sounds strange and bizarre. And trust me, there are some strange and bizarre teachings out there about anointing. But anointing comes from a practice uh, in which kings were chosen And the way this would be done Is the one who is, is chosen to be king by God Would be anointed with oil They would pour oil on their head As an outward symbol In a ceremonial kind of way To say look God has called this man or woman To lead And is empowering them With all of the gifts and abilities They need for their position in their office And in the Old Testament, anointing would occur many times for people to set them apart for a special ministry or work that God was calling them to. The outward oil would symbolize uh, an inward gift of God's presence. And Jesus is saying, I'm anointed. That means the Spirit rests on me. And the Spirit works through me and in me, and the Spirit I will give to other people. And if you want the Spirit, you have to come to me. I give the Spirit, and I have the Spirit. Our ministry will have to be Spirit-empowered as well, but we'll come back to that in just a minute. And then we see that he is given the Holy Spirit for particular actions and forms of ministry, to do something. It says to proclaim good news to the poor. His ministry is done in word and deed the way that Isaiah describes it. Jesus is going to come and he speaks. And with his words and with his teaching, he is going to transform and save people. He has the anointing of the Spirit to preach the good news to the poor. We're going to come back to the poor In just a minute But not only does he speak But he also acts And he cares for people So his ministry is one of word and deed But primarily of word It's interesting that Jesus never really Did more than say things to people. There were times he would touch people as a way to heal them. But often he would just proclaim healing or freedom or deliverance from uh, evil spirits that were controlling them. He didn't have to wrestle the demon-possessed people. All he would just say is, come out of him or her. And the demonic spirits would have to obey. He would say, be well, get up, take your mat, walk. And the people would be healed. And he would preach and teach about the kingdom of God being here, about God forgiving and saving sinners, and people's lives will be transformed. His ministry that we see here is one of word and deed. He would also bind up, it says, or bandage those who are wounded. Somebody has said that this word, to bind up, means it expresses personal attention, soothing, healing, and restoring to wholeness. And again, on, in Jesus' earthly ministry, you see his kind of personal touch in the way that he deals with people who are hurting. He would not just preach and speak, but he would do things to alleviate people's sufferings, to meet their needs, and to help them. He would proclaim freedom for the captives. And he would proclaim release from darkness for the uh, prisoners. And he would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is basically the summary of what Jesus would do in all of his ministry, was to come and to preach good news that the year of the Lord's favor has come. Isaiah goes on to say that he also preaches vengeance. Yikes. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Now, notice that difference. One is a year and one is a day. The the favor of the Lord is a year. Thank the Lord, right? It's a long period of time. It's still going on. We're living in it right now. But the vengeance of God, which is just as much a good thing for people who are suffering (laughs) and have experienced the hard things of living in this fallen world, it's going to be a short moment in time, but it's coming. And God has delayed it because he wants people to have an opportunity in this long ongoing year of of grace and favor and salvation for, for people to repent and to turn to the Lord and to be saved rather than to be judged when the day of vengeance comes. Now, we love the idea of a God of love, but we sometimes think that a holy God who judges isn't consistent with that. But I I don't have time to go into all of that theologically, but I think they're very consistent. In fact, the only thing scarier than a wrathful God is an apathetic God who doesn't care. Do you want a God who doesn't take care of rape and violence and crime, murder Child abuse, genocide, on and on and on. Do we really want a God who just says, I, I'm too nice to deal with any of that big stuff? It's just gotta it's just gotta remain. No, if God loves us and cares about us and cares about people who are victimized by all the injustice and the sin and the violence of this fallen world, He is gonna do something about it or it's not much of good news, is it? One day that's coming. We all would deserve God's justice and wrath if it weren't for his grace and his favor, if it weren't for Jesus coming and doing the work to save us from our sins and to bring the Holy Spirit to change us. But Jesus' ministry is done with word and deed. And from this passage, the third thing we find is that his ministry is focused on sinners and sufferers. I forgot to tell you that when Jesus read that passage in the synagogue in Nazareth, when he reads Isaiah 61, when he gets down to the line to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he stops there. He doesn't read the line, "And the day of vengeance of our God. Because as John 3.17, we all know John 3.16, most of us don't remember John 3.17, but he says in that verse, because Jesus came into the world not to condemn or judge the world, but to save the world. God the Father in his love sent Jesus into the world, his only begotten son. He gave him up for us all to save us so that we can be saved and not perish, because the work and ministry of Jesus is to bring in the year of the Lord's favor now. And when he returns, when he comes again a second time, There'll be a day of vengeance to deal with and remove all of the things that have created all of the suffering in this world. Mental illness, trauma, abuse, grief, those are all caused by sin. If sin had not come into the world, we would not experience any of those things. And for God to remove them all permanently and eternally, he will have to come on a day of judgment And remove all sources of them but we who are in Christ will be forgiven we won't be facing the wrath and the judgment of God because we in the year of the Lord's favor have thrown ourselves on God's grace and said that that is what we need and what we want the broken-hearted here speaking of sinners and sufferers right we, we often forget that that is where Jesus focused his ministry. He specifically says, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. The word poor, though, is not in the Old Testament just restricted to economic conditions. It's anybody needy, anybody low, anybody held down or shut out or mistreated or without any options— The people that feel that they are without any hope. They don't have power. They don't have privilege. And you can have money and still be poor. That's why Jesus said, I came to preach good news to the poor in spirit. But we often focus our ministry in America on the the wealthy, the people with status, the cool people, the beautiful people. And I have to tell you, Jesus loves them all. You know, Jesus loves the Cape Fear Country Club folks. He really does. And he wants them to come to salvation and know him. Many of them do. But in Jesus' ministry, that's not really where he focused and where he started. He went to people that were really destitute and really needed him. He says, I came to preach to poor, needy people and to say to them, I've got good news for you. And to say to broken-hearted people, I've got good news to comfort you. The word broken-hearted here, one commentator says, covers any and every human breakdown from emotional prostration to conviction of sin. And mourning covers all the sadnesses of life, but with sin as primary. The ministry of Jesus was focused on sinners... And sufferers. He said, You know, it's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. I've come to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. And the problem was that most people, everyone is that way, but many people didn't know that they were not well and that they needed grace and that they needed a Savior. The Pharisees thought we're okay, and this is something we can do on our own. I was reading commentaries about the meaning of this passage and I ran across this quote and so I want to read it to you because it sums up well, I think, uh, how Jesus is anointed to come to, to needy people who are suffering, who are broken, who are hurting, and that he cares and he focuses his ministry on them. This quote says, who are the poor? Those who are so broken in life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the Messiah shouts, Good news! That is good news, isn't it? Even if you're in one of those categories, you might not be today. Life's great. (laughs) But there's going to come a day where you're going to, if you haven't noticed it already or realized it, when you're going to be one of those poor in spirit, destitute and needy. And there will always be Jesus waiting for you. Ready to receive you. Ready to bandage and bind up your wounds. Ready to transform and change your situation. And that's my final point. His ministry is one of transformation. He does this by way of a couple uh, real vivid images. And by the way, take a pencil and circle every time you see the word instead. Because Jesus is saying, I'm anointed to come with the Spirit to preach good news and to give you this instead of that, this instead of that, this instead of that. He's trading things out and he is transforming our lives Through his grace. The first one he says is to bestow on them a a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is talking about people who are grieving and mourning. Not just that they've lost a loved one who has passed away. But they're hurting because of the the wounds and impacts of living in a sinful world. Being disappointed. Disappointed. And they are mourning, and they are, in the Old Testament, this is what Jews did to mourn. It's important to understand this. They would put on sackcloth, rough, uncomfortable, torn up clothes, kind of like your old sweatpants, you know, and the worst t-shirt that you have with holes in it. And you know. And then they would take ashes, and they would put them on their head as a symbol. And they would weep, and they would wail, and they would lament, and they would cry, and they would pray. And Jesus says to those kinds of people, I come to them and here's what I do. I put the oil of gladness, oil back then was like perfume and lotion. You know, it was like what you use at a spa to be pampered with and to, you know, get yourself shined up. And it's what you put on when you would celebrate, to smell good, to to make your face shine, your hair look right. It wasn't for mourning, it was for celebrating. So Jesus comes to our point of need, where there was ashes on the head, he pours and anoints us with the oil of gladness and not mourning on our heads. And then it says he takes off the sackcloth and he replaces it with a garment of praise. So that we're dressed up and ready to go out. You know, dressed up for like the garden party that all you fancy people go to at the Zalea Festival, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. The garden party, right? At Airlie Gardens. Everybody dresses up like, you know, a Dr. Seuss character, like bright colors and as preppy as you can be. And we all look at them on Facebook with major FOMO going on, like wondering, I'm not in the in crowd, you know? I'm not dressed up like that. Or the way you dress to go to a wedding or cocktail party, mocktail party, you know, I don't know. But to dress up that's what god god says when jesus comes into your life and changes and ministers to you what he does is he takes off all those symbols of mourning and sadness and despair and he dresses you up with the joy of the lord so that we worship him in gladness he completely transforms those that garment of praise is an outward thing describing a complete inward transformation You can't just change your clothes and change how you feel or how you think or how you act. But it is a symbol. Jesus can change the way you think and feel and act. He can give you hope. This is the ministry of Jesus. It's spirit empowered. It's done in word and in deed. It's focused on sinners and sufferers and it is focused on transformation. Isaiah begins to talk about just how different people are after the ministry of Jesus in their life. He says they will be called, or they will do. They're given new natures, new names, new purposes, and they are given a ministry, which we will get into next. But he says they will be called oaks of righteousness, stable, enduring, alive with abundant life, beautiful, showing uh, the, what does he call it? The splendor of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the goodness of God. People will go and look at them, look at the people's lives. Jesus has transformed, and it'll be like going to see the early oak. Speaking of early gardens, have you all been to see the early oak, right? This 500-year-old oak tree, just so beautiful. And you, you stand there, it's, it's strong, it looks mighty, and, and it's beautiful. People are going to be pointing at those people. Jesus changes and transforms be like, Man, the Lord planted that. The Lord did that. Our righteous God, through righteous acts, made these people right with God, gave them life, and transformed them so that they're like oak trees. New and how different than, than sitting in ashes and mourning, uh, captive, in bondage. Oaks of the Lord, planted by Him, displaying His splendor. And so let me close by making my second point, that Jesus has also anointed the church with the Spirit. I didn't say he anointed you to all be leaders and prophets or to be uh, like Jesus, or but he has anointed the church, and he's anointed every believer with his Spirit and with gifts. And we can all use those as his body. And I, I want to quote John Calvin, because I know you all sometimes think he doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, But he was actually known as the theologian of the spirit of all the kind of major classical theologians He references the spirit more than anyone else And he tells how the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Jesus is then passed on to the church Because as his body and he is our head we share in the Holy Spirit's anointing He says Christ received anointing not only for himself that he might carry out his office of teaching before his whole body that the power of the Spirit might be present and continuing in the preaching of the gospel. This anointing was diffused from the head to its members." The anointing of the Holy Spirit for this kind of ministry to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to people who were bound up in, in some kind of bondage or in prison, to bandage those who are hurting, to comfort those who are mourning, The spirits here in the church calling us and equipping us to the same kind of ministry and this is where it gets a little bit messy and challenging but notice in verse 4 they will rebuild the ancient ruins they'll see all these re words we have been transformed now it's no longer talking about what Jesus does to us Jesus begins to speak about what we are going to do for him What he's going to do through us because of what he did in us and to us, those people that he has bandaged up and transformed and comforted and set free, they are going to rebuild, restore, renew. When we are redeemed, we are given a ministry of holding back the dark, bringing new life healing what is broken that's what we are called to be about as the disciples of Jesus and I love how he uses all these ways of describing problems in the world as being old and generational and passed down they've been this way for a long time so much of the stuff that I help people with in my office it's you know whatever you want to call it family traditions generational curse You know, Someone sinful hurts someone else And then out of their hurt, they hurt someone else And because of all their sin and our sin I'm hurting and broken And we're just passing it all down And what Jesus does is he comes in with his grace And the good news And he cuts that cycle out And he begins to change and renew and restore What was broken and messed up And he can do it And only he can do it (laughs) But he's calling you to be a part of it I have a uh, Client comes in every time with the same water bottle. He forgets it every time, comes back in five minutes later to get it. But it's got a sticker on it that says, you all need Jesus. And I've wanted to put that on my wall because we all need counselors. We all need doctors. We all need to help each other. But at the core, at the bottom, we just all need Jesus. Only Jesus can heal these things that are too big. For me, for you. Thanks for having group therapy with me here. <laughs> people, people ask me, gosh, how do you list people's problems all week? I, it, I really feel made for it. I don't mind it in a weird way. I like it. But the way I handle it is to know, look, we have referrals in my, in my business. You know, We're like, I'm going to refer you to Dr. So-and-so because you can see him to get help with this. And it, You know, when it's all said and done... I gotta refer everybody out to Jesus. And when you come in, no matter who you are, what your problem is just want you to know y'all need Jesus. And he is there for you because he is anointed to preach good news and to heal and to set free. Y'all need Jesus. And I can give you a referral. (laughs) I, I know a guy who is equipped for this and I hope you'll do the same. That's the church's work as oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord growing in him and transform reflecting his goodness and his power to change and transform that you will be pointing upwards to Jesus for other people. Just to say it doesn't matter if you're, if you're broken, if you're suffering, if you feel left out or forgotten, or you feel like you have messed up life so much no one cares or can help. Jesus can, and he will, and he wants to. That's the people close to his heart. I had something I was going to add to that, and I just can't remember now. But notice it calls us priests and ministers priests and ministers to represent God and to to minister to other people and to care for them that's what we are anointed to do by the Holy Spirit Jesus takes our worst and he gives us his best instead of shame he gives you grace, and acceptance, and safety. Shame is a huge issue, folks. For sadness, he gives you joy. Poverty, he gives you abundance. For addiction and bondage, he gives you freedom. For despair, he gives you hope. Whatever your worst is, bring it to Jesus and he'll trade it out for his best. I know that. I've never had someone I've referred to Jesus come back and say, he couldn't help me. <laughs> I have had earthly doctors and counselors do that. I've had to do that. But I just want to close with this. Um, a guy named David Siemens has said that we all need grace and various kinds of Grace. Even once we have saving grace and we know we are going to heaven and we have a right relationship with God, there's still all the effects of sin and the fallen world that we are dealing with for the rest of our lives. And for each need, there is a special kind of grace. He says, "For there is healing grace for damaged emotions of the past. There's reconstructing grace For destructive interpersonal relationships. There's reprogramming grace for distorted personality patterns. Recycling grace to transform cripplings into means of ministry. And we could go on and on. The point is no matter what your problem is, there is a kind of grace for that. Because we are in the year of the Lord's favor. And we need to get the word out. We need to share with others that there is a Savior who's been anointed with the Spirit to save and to heal and to renew. So my question as I close is this. I've got two, really, two questions for you to reflect on. Which type of that grace are you most in need of? And will you come to Jesus for it this morning? Some of you might need to just start with saving grace. You just need to come and confess your sin and your need to be forgiven and to accept the death and resurrection of Jesus as your salvation. But there might be other kinds of grace that you need, and I want to encourage you to come to Jesus because he's ready and waiting. And then is this church, I didn't run this by Michael, hopefully he's okay with me, saying this. I'm going to try to not be controversial. I would say this to any church. Is this church an Isaiah 61 kind of church? A Luke 4 kind of church? That's where Jesus reads it in the synagogue. In other words, does Saltbox Church proclaim the good news and care for the hurting in the power of the Spirit? Does it keep Jesus and his saving work central? And does it pattern its ministry after his? Because you are anointed, even if you forget it or don't walk in it. This church is anointed, each believer anointed, and gifted, and empowered, and called to refer people to Jesus but also to minister them out of how Jesus has transformed their lives. But are we doing it? Do we welcome in hurting people, even if it's hard and messy and we're confused? I will tell you this, the people who sit in my office who deal with really difficult things, some of it due to no fault of their own, some completely due to all their own fault, when they face hard things, people begin to distance themselves. I don't know why we do it. Most people don't run towards hurting people. We pull back for various reasons. But Jesus doesn't. And he calls us to follow him there to those people in those places. What people need in the church when they're struggling with their mental health or relationships or whatever, they need three H's. They need help, they need hope, and they need a home. And Jesus has equipped the church to give them all three. Do you want to be a part of that? I do. So let's give ourselves to the Lord and ask the Spirit to empower that kind of ministry in our lives and our church. Let me invite the prayer team to come down. And if you are in need of grace for anything, come. And we would love to be able to pray for you. But let's stand and and let's continue to worship God as we close out this time together.
2: with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
1: test. If there's more of you that would like to come down that we can minister to you and pray for you, you can stay and we'll stay as long as we need to. But uh, let me dismiss the rest of you and give you a blessing. Just may God bless you and keep you. May he comfort you in every way, watch over you, give you an experience of his love and fill you with his spirit and have a wonderful week. You are loved and don't forget it. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.